Well, as I mentioned earlier tonight, uh, we'll be participating in ordination service for both deacons and ministers. And um, as I thought about that, I thought about what is our responsibility as Christians, as a church, to be responsive to God's call? We think of, obviously, deacons, ministers, others, missionaries, receiving God's call. But is there a call that is more um, general, more broadly speaking, uh, in terms of who we're to be and how we're to respond? And I think there is, and there are several places in Scripture I could point to that, but I wanted to look this morning uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, and uh, we're going to be looking at a passage that calls on us to be sensitive to God's call, be sensitive to God's word. Now, just a little bit of background so you kind of know what's going on in the book of Nehemiah. It's not a book that we often spend a lot of time on. Um, I think really the only time I, I hear preachers visit Nehemiah is when they want to build something. Uh, because, <laughs> uh, because <laughs> the rebuilding of the wall and so forth, it just fits, you know, we're going we're to build a church or whatever. But it is it is a uh, it is a significant uh, book really in the Old Testament. It's one of the, the later books in the Old Testament. The events take place after the return from the exile. Israel has uh, been in exile uh, in Babylon for roughly seventy years. Um, they come back. They start to reestablish their community and their faith. Um, function under the the ministries of Haggai and Zechariah. And then about 60, 70 years later, um, Jerusalem is still not fully recovered. And so God uh, calls Nehemiah and Ezra back um, to, uh, to Jerusalem to rebuild it, to help it get back on its feet. And the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are, are essentially one book in a lot of ways. Um, and, and they recount those events. They recount God's journey with Israel from the return of the exile to uh, their point in time, uh, roughly about 460, 450, right in there, B.C., um, as God begins to minister and God begins to, to, uh, to change and transform the people. Now, a big part of the book, obviously, is dealing with the consequences of sin. The whole reason Israel was in exile was their sin, their rejection, their rebellion of God. Um, and so now God is trying to teach them, direct them on how to deal with the consequences of that and how to once again become the people of God. Chapters 1 through 6 of Nehemiah involve um, the, the call, the challenge to do the things that God has called us to do, prayer, working together, understanding there's something bigger than our own personal goals, desires, and Chapter 7 through 13 are about being the people of God. What does that look like to be the people of God? What does that even um, uh, mean for our lives and for our experiences? Chapter 8 is about the people's response to that call and how that transpired. So let's look at verses 1 through 12 of chapter 8 this morning. It says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, 
All the people gathered together at the square in the front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out from it on daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and all those who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, uh, Maasiah, uh, Maasiah uh, stood beside him on his right. To his left were Padiah, Mishael, uh, Malchijah, Hajum, Hashbad, Hashbanada, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people, since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with all their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. Then they knelt low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Yeshua, Bani, Cherubiah, uh, Jamin, Ahaku, Shabbatai, Odiah, Messiah, Kelatah, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, who were Levites, explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. They read out the book of law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they had heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, send portions to those who have nothing prepared. Since today is holy to our Lord, do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, since today is holy, don't grieve. Then all the people began to eat and to drink and send portions and have a great celebration, because they had understood the words that were explained to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness to us, that you walk with us, you talk with us, you reveal your will and your way to us in your word. God, may we be sensitive to what you have to say to us. May we be consistent in following through and being obedient to what your word says. As you prepare our hearts and minds for uh, this time of transition, God, I pray that um, you would help us to, to listen first and foremost to you and what you have to say to us. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. So you see a people here who have returned to the scriptures. They have rediscovered the centrality of the scriptures in their life and in their experiences. And every great movement of God Old Testament to New Testament church history has begun with two things, a return to the scriptures and a return to prayer. Those two things have driven revivals, reformations, transformations um, throughout history in every circumstance, in every context, whether we're talking uh, revivals in the Far East, the Reformation uh, of Europe uh, in the Middle Ages, Revivals here in America, the Great Awakenings, 
They all began with a return to the Word of God and with a return to prayer. And, and it's important for us as a church, as we look at the future, as we look at, at what God uh, is doing in our midst, as we look at the individuals that God has called um, that we'll be uh, responding to and acknowledging tonight, it's important for us to be a people who are about the Word and who are about prayer. Paul writes in Romans 10, 13-15, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how, will they, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or teaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? That is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It is our role as a church to go. It is our role as a church to send. That's a part of what we'll be doing tonight. Even though these men will and women will be serving in our church, in our, in our uh, area, we are in fact sending them, acknowledging what God has already done. So let's look at some realities in this text about being sensitive to the word that are presented for us. The first truth that we see is that it starts with everyone coming together. In chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, you see uh, the mention many times of the word everyone, all the people, all who could understand. Everyone is involved, from the youngest to the oldest, the men, the women, the children who are old enough to understand what's going on. Thirteen times in thirteen verses, it uses the, the phrase, the people. Nine of those times, it uses the phrase, all the people. It's important for a church, for everybody to be involved. The general rule of thumb that we're given as ministers and training and so forth, that is what you'll generally experience is that 20% of the church does 80% of the work. That's, that's the rough figures for how things generally work out. Um, and so the opposite, 80% of the church does 20% of the work and so forth. But that's not a healthy expression of what it means to be a church. Now, I understand that not all of us can do everything, and I'm not asking you to do everything. But it's important that we all be involved. That when we hear of an event, or when we know of something that's going on, if we can't be involved, if we can't be present, if we can't be connected to it, then we're spending some time in prayer about it. Praying that God blesses that time, that God blesses those workers, that God uh, works with the people who are visiting or people who are participating in. We just had uh, our fall festival uh, a couple of weeks ago. And a lot of you were very involved. That was great. It was great to see the, the variety of involvement and the creativity that uh, so many of you had. Uh, I love the candy corn stalks. That was, that was pretty great. Um, but I wonder how many of us who weren't able to participate at least prayed for it. Prayer is the powerhouse of the church. It's where we take the stuff of heaven to 
the throne of or the stuff of earth to the to the throne of heaven. And we're able to connect with God. And we're able to ask his blessing, his direction, his guidance. So it's important that that prayer uh, encapsulates everything that we do as our pastor search committee has begun meeting. How many of you have been in prayer for them? I hope all of you. Praying and lifting them up this important task that they are pursuing, finding the, the, the man that God has to lead this church in the coming years. It can be devastating if the wrong person is chosen. So it's vital that you we bathe them in prayer, that we lift them up in all that we do. Also in this passage, you, you see the writers say that they did all these things as one man or as one person. The unity of the church is vital. Now, in, in Baptist life, we talk about democratic processes. And the reason we talk about that, the reason that's important, is because we believe in soul competency or the priesthood of believer. That every member here, every person here, every person of understanding has the capacity to relate to God on an individual basis. That while we're needed together, while we're, we're, we're needed to come together as a unity, we also have an individual responsibility and response before God. And because of that individual connection that all of us have with God, when it comes to decision-making processes, we do it through what are called democratic processes. We vote on it. But I want you to understand, and I hope you understand, that too often the so-called democratic process has slipped into an adversarial type mindset. You're either for it or against it, as they say. And you end up with a church that's fighting or struggling over a certain issue. And when that happens, and when that occurs, and it's often inevitable with that sort of process, the goal then becomes winning. And when the goal is winning, we've already lost. A church's desire, a church's purpose, a church's direction should not be driven by a concern for the majority. A church's direction should be driven by a desire for consensus that we are listening to the Word of God. And we're trying to pursue the desires of God. That as we meet over something and as we discuss something, even something that we might adamantly disagree about, our goal is not to win the debate. Our goal is to find unity and to move forward with that. That should be at the heart of what it means to be the church because that's how Scripture Old Testament and New Testament presents the realities. Whether you're in Ephesians, where Paul's talking about the oneness of who we are, or Nehemiah here, where he's talking about everybody coming together as one person, God's desire is unity. How can we be a body with Christ as the head if we're divided? It doesn't work. So let me encourage you to 
make coming together about any matter, about any issue, the priority. How do we do that? I think a big part of it is the second part, and that's that we continue by preparing ourselves for what God might do. A lot of times when we enter into a discussion, when we enter into an event, when we enter into a vote, we're more interested in what we might want as opposed to what God might want. We, we make up our minds before we even hear opposing viewpoints or different viewpoints. And it becomes about us. But notice the preparation that goes into this moment here. It's not just a matter of prayer, which we've already seen. It's what? It's the first day of the seventh month. Now, what is that? That is the Feast of Trumpets. The day of sacrifice. Ezra and Nehemiah planned this day to be the day of revival, renewal, restoration for the people. That means what? It means they planned ahead. It wasn't like they were, oh, let's just pick any old day. They, they picked a day that would be a day of national sacrifice. They picked a day that would be a day of national celebration, a, a day that would be a day of, of acknowledging and, and already on the minds and hearts of people, something they're already thinking about, something they're already interested in. They built a platform so that the event could come off the way it was supposed to. Again, it wasn't just some random, let's meet out here in the middle of the city or, or whatever. They built a place where people could come together and, and they could meet and they could hear what was going on. They got their leaders together. One of the struggles that you often find, and probably a lot of reason that people avoid Ezra and Nehemiah, is there are so many names. And those names are not easy. I don't know why they couldn't be named Jim and Bob and, you know, those sorts of things. But instead we get, you know, Shabbatai and Masaliah and all those good, great biblical names. Why do they include those names? They include those names because those are the leaders. Those are the people God had already called out to serve and to minister. And it's important that the people that this book is written to know who God has called out. Know of, of the, the calling on people's lives. Know of their anointing by God to lead the people. And the people that are listed here are not the only priests. They're not the only Levites. They were the ones that were selected for this particular purpose, most likely because these were the men, these were the individuals who had a giftedness in explaining things to people. Some Levites were, were good at serving, and so they would function in the, in the temple and in, in sacrifices or other rituals. But these Levites were the ones who were, who were good at explaining things. And in a time when you're looking for clarity, that's who you turn to. And as we pursue things as a church, as we, we, we look 
for things that are present in people that might help them carry out that task. If I need something done physically around here, I know the people to call. If I need a visit made or an encouragement, encouraging word, I know the people to reach out to. Every one of you has something you can contribute to the ministry of this church. The question is, are we? Are we being sensitive to God's call? And part of being sensitive to God's call is recognizing what he's already prepared you to do. How he's already made you. Whether it's serving in the kitchen, cooking, meals, or preparing other events. We have our Thanksgiving meal coming up this Wednesday. We have several people who will be a part of that. Why? Because it's part of their giftedness. They're using their gifts for God's glory. And notice that as Ezra starts to proclaim the word, as Ezra starts to, to read God's word, and he begins to bless the people, People are responding. People are giving feedback. They show their need by opening their hands to God. That's what that symbol, that's what that stance means. It's an expression of, I need you. I need whatever it is you can send my way. They show their submission with their words, amen and amen, amen. They're responding to what God is saying, and they're saying, let that be what happens in my life. I submit to it. I surrender to it. They're showing their humility by bowing down so that their face touches the ground. They're being responsive to what God is doing in their midst. It's an active response. Too often our church, and I'm not, I mean ours individual, I mean the church as a whole, have become a, a passive activity, a consumer mindset. The church was always meant to be a, a responsive, active participation of the members in all that's going on. Third truth is, this passage is that it takes hold. God's, God's word takes hold when we, when we do the work of seeking understanding. And, and it is work to find understanding. It doesn't just come easily. Yes, there's a, a lot of the scriptures that, that is readily available, readily understandable. And, and we do well to even just read that part and, and understand it and respond to it. Even if you can't understand it all, respond to what you can. But it is our call, it is our, it is our, our place, it is our role as believers to dig into his word. We spend so much time about uh, praying and thinking, how do I know God's will, how do I know God's will? And 
so little time actually in his word where he tells us what his will is. Where he reveals it. We need to understand that when scripture is read, God is speaking. I don't think, at least for me, I don't think I, I let that sink in enough. We start to read scripture, we hear somebody else reading it or whatever. And we're like, oh, that's great, that's scripture, that's amazing. But we never let it really hit us that that is God speaking to us. I remember growing up, one of my dad's, I don't know if it was his favorite line, but it was probably one of his most used. Are you listening to me, boy? And what, what did I do when I heard that sentence? Yes, sir. Probably because I wasn't before that moment. But I came to understand when dad spoke, all other things needed to fall by the wayside and I need to pay attention. When God speaks, other things need to fall by the wayside and we need to pay attention. This is his word to us. We need to be listening to what he has to say. But it is an ancient book. Portions of it are probably as, as old as 3,500 years, 3,500 years ago. So there's going to be places in it that may not connect directly, immediately, easily with somebody living in the 21st century. But every bit of it is inspired. Every bit of it is important. Every bit of it speaks in some way to your life, to your experience, to your situations. So it's important for us to, to spend some time having it explained to us, help, have, having it revealed to us, having it applied to us. I may not be the greatest orator, but I work very hard to have my facts straight when it comes to the word. And I hope that as you consider and look at whoever's going to lead you in the future, that that's a priority to you, to who they are and what they do. Because understanding God's word is a significant part of who we are. And I want to point out as well that it's not just about the big group. Notice what happens in verse 7. In verse 7, they what? They break into smaller groups so that those individual teachers can help them understand even more. Our Sunday school, our life groups are important parts of our growth as believers. As we respond to God's word, as we listen to God's word, as we relate to it in a way that's more directed at our age group in a way that we can share. And finally, our journey is completed when we respond in faith to what we've heard.
James would later say, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Here, it's interesting that the transformation that takes place in these people. The passage tells us that as they initially hear God's word, they what? They respond with weeping. Why? Because they're being sensitive to what God's word says. They understand the sin that's present in their life. They understand the, their failures. And they're distressed over that. But what do the leadership say to them? Stop your crying. This is not a day for mourning. This day was set apart for rejoicing. This day was set apart for celebration. That needs to be who you are. Go and eat what is rich. Drink what is sweet. It's in portion to those who have nothing prepared. What a glorious, glorious expression of celebration. You see here this balance between justice and mercy, between sin and forgiveness. We're to be mindful of both, and there's a, there's a time for responding to, to both of those. But the way we distinguish that time is what? Being sensitive to what God has said. Being sensitive to how God has led us. And when God has told us something, responding the way he would have us respond, not the way we want. The last verse of our passage, verse 12, is so very powerful. Then all the people began to do what they had been told to do, what it says. All the people responded. Why? Because they understood the words that were explained to them. That is, they internalized it. God's word was not just an instruction. It was a motivation. It was a direction. It was a part of their life. As we look at the future, as we look at the blessing of the future that we'll acknowledge tonight, those that we ordain. We need to be sensitive to what God might be saying to us as well in terms of our calling, in terms of our place in his work, in his church, among his people. Today is a day of challenge, not just to those that will be laying hands on, but to all of us to be the people that God has called us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you call us. I thank you that you prepare us. I thank you that 
you lead us. God, I pray that even right now you would be preparing our hearts and minds that we would make ourselves available to what you want to say to us. That we would be responsive to the call that you placed on us. That we would be a people who love you with all that we are. God, I pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, who doesn't have a relationship with you, that they would respond to that first call, that vital call to find life and hope in you. And help the rest of us, Lord, who are your believers, who are your children, to be sensitive to your word. Christ, name we pray.